Well, tonight we're talking about kingdom citizens and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this is really exciting. How many of you guys enjoyed Jesse's talk this morning? Wasn't that great? This is so significant. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 8.10, he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And see, before Jesus came to this earth, the secrets of the kingdom of God had not yet been revealed. Now we know those secrets through Christ and through His Word. And so tonight, as we study these things and as we get into the Word, this is exciting that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to us. And I hope that we can go away remembering what those secrets are and then taking away from it too life decisions that we will make that will impact the rest of our lives. The first thing that I wanted to start with is that His kingdom is different than this world's. And Jesse talked a lot about that this morning, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just wanted to reiterate the the difference between the two kingdoms. In John 18.36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. It's different than this world's kingdom. So the kingdom that you're familiar with seeing in the world around you is different than Jesus' kingdom. They're two different kingdoms. In James 4.4, it tells us that friendship with this world makes you an enemy of God. It says, If your aim is to enjoy this world, you can't be a friend of God. That's our natural human condition, though, to want to enjoy life, to want to enjoy this world, and to want to participate in what the world does. How many of you enjoy it when your friends say you're stupid, or you're not cool, or we don't like you? (laughs) See, your friends are going to try and get you to do the things that are familiar with the world's way of doing things. And when we do those things, if our aim is to enjoy this world, it says we cannot be a friend of God because His kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. So this is definitely black and white. I like the PowerPoint that Jesse had up here today. It's a black and white deal. There are two kingdoms. In 1 John 2, 15-17, Jesse read it, but I have to read it again. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is a serious deal. If my heart is with the world, it cannot be with God. And if my heart is with God, it will not be with the world. It gets caught in between sometimes, but it says that my heart needs to be for God, not for the world. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now this is what's so significant. The one kingdom is dying. The one kingdom is decomposing. The one kingdom is passing away. God's kingdom never ends. And when we do God's will, and when we live in this relationship with God, in His kingdom, it says we will live forever because we are part of His kingdom. Now here's the contrast between these two different kingdoms. And Jesse talked about this this morning. This is coming from two main passages. One is 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through And the other one is Galatians 5, 19-25. And you can read those. You can write those references down or get them from me. I'm just going to kind of go through some of the points that it says characterize each different kingdom. And the first is the kingdom of this world. And it, character, and it talks about what the, what the citizens of that kingdom do. And here are a few things. It says that they're trapped in sexual sin. Isn't that true? Don't you see that all around you on campus? One of Jesse's questions is, what characteristics of the kingdom of this world do you see on your campus? One of those is sexual sin. It's everywhere. It's being pushed, pushed, pushed. It doesn't even matter what you want. Just do it because everyone else is doing it. Right? Isn't that what you guys always hear? Isn't that what you always hear? So sexual sin, idolatry, Finding idols, 
We don't ever carve these gold statues that we worship. At least, I don't think any of you do that. But we all have idols, things that, that we put above God. For me, snowboarding at one time was a big idol. I made that more important than God. For you, it could be anything. It could be a boyfriend. It could be a girlfriend. It could be your money. It could be your image, what you look like. I don't know what it is, but idolatry characterizes the citizens of the kingdom of this world. Adultery, homosexuality, the Bible says, characterizes the kingdom of this world. Stealing. I, I saw a guy last week. Go into the to the bookstore on campus. I was talking about this this morning, and he stole a bunch of stuff. He put it in his pockets, and he walked out, and he's like bragging to his friends, "Look what I stole! Look what I stole!" It was pretty crazy. So stealing, greed, wanting what we don't have, and desiring it. I've got to have that. I've got to have that. I've got to have that. That that characterizes the kingdom of this world. Drunkenness. You guys see that on your campuses ever? That is a huge characteristic of this world. Drunkenness, violence, cheating. Sinful desires. It says impure thoughts. We've all struggled with impure thoughts. Those characterize the kingdom of the world. Demonic activities. Demonic activities. Hostility. Arguing. Sometimes we as Christians will get into arguments and we think, ah, it's just a little argument. It's not a big deal. The Bible says that is a characteristic of the kingdom of this world. Arguing. Back and forth. It does not honor each other or God. Jealousy. Anger. Selfishness. Divisions. Envy. And the New Living Translation says, wild parties. How many of you have seen wild parties on your campus? Isn't that true? Now, I know that one of you here was saying today that you've been to parties, and it's just like, it's negative vibes, okay? And it's all negative. And it's like every guy there is angry and wants to fight you if you're a guy. And You know, I went to a few parties my freshman year, and it was the same way. Nobody, everybody's just sitting there, the music's going. <laughs> just kind of looking around, drinking. I told Aaron, it's like a funeral with loud music. It really is. <laughs> Isn't that true, kind of? Have you ever been to like a typical wild party where you walk away going, I feel encouraged. <laughs> I feel loved and accepted for who I am. You ever walk away feeling like that? Or, or, or <laughs> walk away feeling like, I feel filled up and joyful. Isn't it more? I see these guys on campus, and they come in. I saw this one guy last week, and he's, he tells me, I don't think I can eat lunch with you today. We were going to have lunch. I said, why? Are you sick? He's like, very sick. I was puking all night. I've been puking all morning. I said, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I was just out at a party last night. I thought, oh my gosh, this is not, this is not good, dude. This is not good. How can this be fun? You know, the rest of the day is shot. You can't even eat lunch. You're, you feel so terrible. So that's, those are some of the characteristics. And there are many more of the citizens of this world and the kingdom of this world. Now, the citizens of the kingdom of God, the Bible says, have different characteristics. Here are just a few. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, the characteristics of the kingdom of God are so much more fulfilling. Isn't joy wonderful? Isn't peace wonderful? Isn't love wonderful? Aren't those the things that we all want? Now, those are the things that characterize God's kingdom. And so this is exciting stuff. This isn't like... You better not do, you better not go to parties. <laughs> okay, this isn't, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, God's kingdom is so fulfilling. God's kingdom is so, it just builds you up, it refreshes you, it energizes you. Everything you seek in life, it is found in His kingdom. So this is wonderful stuff. 
In Romans 14, 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God goes far beyond just normal life, too. So when we talk about the kingdom of the world being all this evil stuff, I also want to say, it can also just be living your day-to-day life without much of a purpose. Just eating and drinking, and that's that. And see, the Bible says the kingdom of God is more than that. It's more than all the bad stuff, and it's even more than just plain old simple life. See, it's fullness. It's, it's fullness in Christ. So the kingdom of God is an awesome thing, and it is very different than the kingdom of the world. Remember what Jesus said in John 18.36. His kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. Now, here is what's exciting. Jesus invites us to be a part of his kingdom. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 22.29, I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me. So Jesus said, I'm giving you this kingdom. He doesn't say, hey, there are just two kingdoms out there. Good luck finding the right one. He says, I'm giving you my kingdom. I'm bringing it to you. In John 3, 3, Jesus declared, he said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, this is a big deal. See, my natural human flesh was not created for God's kingdom. It's a part of this world's kingdom, isn't it? It's dying just like the rest of this world. It desires a lot of what the world wants. So Jesus said... We have to be born again spiritually if we want to be a part of his kingdom. And that's a very simple thing, really. Being born again spiritually simply means letting Christ come into my life. At that very moment, he puts his Holy Spirit in me. It says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You've been born again. You've been made new. And now you're part of his kingdom. And you might still have, you will still have desires for the other kingdom. You will still have a struggle. But now, you've been born again into his kingdom. And that comes simply through accepting his free gift of salvation and what he did on the cross. In Colossians 1.13, it says, He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So it says you were in the dominion of darkness. You were in the kingdom of darkness. And it says it's a dominion. You were trapped in there. You ever feel trapped in that kingdom? It says you were trapped in that. It says he rescued from you from that. And he put you into the kingdom of the son he loves, into Jesus' kingdom. So he's invited us into his kingdom. He's put us into his kingdom. In Hebrews 12, 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, this kingdom that you are, that you are a part of as God's son, it cannot be shaken. There's complete stability. There's complete security. There's complete safety. It will not be shaken. The kingdom of the world is shaken all the time, isn't it? Isn't it always insecure? I don't know what people are going to think of me, what people are going to do to me. In God's kingdom, you have complete security, complete safety, and it will not be shaken. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13 says, You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. We were separate. We were excluded from citizenship. We weren't a part of his kingdom. It says, We were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and we are foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Do you ever feel like that before you knew Christ? I didn't have hope and I didn't have God. And I was excluded from citizenship in his kingdom. But it says, Now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So we were far away from his kingdom. But he brought us near. Not because of what I did. It's not because I got my act together and did everything right. But it's simply through his blood. Jesus Christ, he died on the cross and paid for my sins. Now I've been brought into his kingdom when I accept that. So, we have two different kingdoms. They're very different from each other. And Jesus specifically says, my kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. 
He invites you to be a part of His kingdom. Now I want to run through ten different characteristics from Scripture about what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom. Because this is important. If I'm going to be a citizen of this kingdom, what does that mean? What does that look like? The first thing Jesus ever said about the kingdom of God, Matthew 4.17, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So when Jesus began saying that His kingdom was coming, the first thing He called us to do was to repent, which is a heavy word. So basically, before I can be a citizen, that's where it starts, is repenting. Now, the, the Greek word for repent is metanoio. And I don't always like to share these Greek words, but this one is really important. Because if I asked all of you in this room what repent means, most of you would say, stop doing one thing, do another thing. Isn't that true? Isn't that kind of the mentality that we've always been taught? Don't do bad anymore, do good now. Now, that's, that's the, not the definition at all of what repent means. That's kind of like our cultural idea of repentance. But the word right here in the Greek, metanoio, means to change one's mind or purpose. It has nothing to do initially with actions. But see, my actions are rooted first in what I think. Jesus said that, and the Bible says that in other places. Now, when I try to change my actions all the time, I never get at the root, which is my thoughts. And see, repentance has to deal with my thinking. And that's why Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to repent. You have to change your thinking. Because the old kingdom had its whole way of thinking. Isn't that true? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw that guy over if he did me wrong. Or I'm going to get that girl to get in bed with me. See, it had its whole way of thinking. Now, in God's kingdom, I have to change my thinking. And see, I don't have to do that on my own. He does that with me as I allow him. He will change my thinking. But see, it starts with this repentance. It starts with changing my thinking to think like he thinks. And changing my purpose. And see, from there, my actions change. Isn't that true? Because I begin to think like he thinks about things. I begin to think the way he thinks. And then my actions start to change from there. In Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's neat here is it doesn't just say do it. It says you've been taught how to do this. See, God's word tells me how I do that. It's not like God just says quit doing what's wrong and start doing what... Get your act together, Malcolm. You know, God doesn't just say that, right? See, God gives us in his word how we can do that. As we simply get in his word and read his word and let it change us from the inside out, that starts to happen naturally. Changing my thinking to think like he does and then I begin to act like he acts. Repentance is such a huge issue. Jesus came to the Pharisees, which were the most religious people in the entire culture of his day. And he tells them this. He says, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors, which were some of the most hated people in the culture, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. That's amazing. So he's coming to these religious guys that are leading the churches and all this stuff. And he says, the tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into heaven ahead of you. Because they were repenting. They were coming to him and saying, look, I know I'm wrong, and I need you to change me. They were changing their minds and letting him take over. So they believed and repented, it says, and after that, they were able to enter his kingdom, even ahead of the most religious people of their days. So it all starts, I think, with repentance. So my challenge right there, guys, is to, to let God change your thinking. We all have our own opinions and ideas, right? In America... Being an individual is a big thing. 
And we all want to have our own opinion on every issue. Isn't that true? That's how we're taught. That's, that's what we're told is good. Now see, what God's saying here is learn to give up your opinion and take my word for it. Take my word. There's a story I love about Jesus. It says that a man came to him and said, My son is dying. And this is only the second, it's in John 5. It's only the second miracle Jesus ever performed. So at this time, Jesus had never healed anyone. He'd only changed the water to wine. And this man came and said, You can heal my son. He wasn't saying that because he'd seen Jesus do it before. He was only saying that because he knew how significant a man Jesus was. And Jesus said, Your son is healed. Go. And it says the man took Jesus at his word and left. And I always think, I want to do that. I want to take God at His Word. I know I have opinions that are going to conflict a lot of times with what the Bible says. We need to learn to take Him at His Word and not put our opinion first. He's got this thing under control. He knows what's up. And that's this heart of repentance. Saying, God, I trust You, not me. I believe You, not me. I'm going to change my thinking to say, You're right, I'm wrong. And when I really get to that point where where I'm willing to say, You're right and I'm wrong, see, then this kingdom issue comes into play. So what is one of the first things about a kingdom citizen? They have to submit to the king's authority. Somebody talked about that this morning. I think Jesse said, if, if you disagree with the king, it's off with your head. <laughs> and, and the traditional idea of kingdoms. Now, in a kingdom, we have to submit to his lordship. In James 4.10, it says, When you bow down before the Lord, admit your dependence on him. And he will lift you up and give you honor. See, we need to come to God and say, I'm bowing down. I'm submitting to you. Which means, you are God and I'm not. You're in control and I'm not. You have the authority, I don't. Let's say I've wanted to do something with my life, my whole life. And God says, I have a different plan for you. His plan goes, not mine. See, he has the authority. And if I'm going to be in his kingdom, I have to submit to his authority. If I don't submit to his authority, I'm not in his kingdom. Does that make sense? Because you'd never say to the king, forget it, I'm doing my own thing. Part of being in a kingdom is submitting to his authority. In Hebrews 12.9, it says, cheerfully submit to the discipline of our heavenly father. This is a joy. See, I can submit to him joyfully because I know that everything that he has planned for me is the best thing for me. There's nothing else in the world that could be better for me than what He has for me. There's nothing that would bring me more joy. There's nothing that would be greater to do with my life. He has a plan and a purpose for your life that goes far beyond what you could ever accomplish on your own. So I can cheerfully submit to that because I know I could probably do a good job screwing my life up. (laughs) And I know He's going to do a good job making it the most, making it what He wanted it to be. In Mark 10.23 and in Luke 18.24 and in Matthew 9.23-24, this is in many different places, Jesus said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be rich. And Jesus didn't say that there either. But He said it's very hard if you're rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this is why in Luke 16.13 it says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It says right there, you cannot serve both God and money. And money is a great, great, great example here because our money is so hard to give God control of. It's so hard to give God ownership of. But see, whether it's money or anything else in life, I have to be submitted to God. I have to give that totally to Him. And when everything, including my finances, is completely submitted to Him, then I can know He truly is Lord. So I don't know for you, think this through in your mind right now. 
If you're taking notes, maybe write it down or maybe think it through more. But whether it's money or whether it's friends or whether it's your your idea of your future career, whether it's your GPA, any of these things, what do you need to submit to God right now? What do you think God needs to have control over right now? Think that through for just a second because He wants to be Lord of every single part of your life, not just a few parts of your life. He wants to be Lord of everything. Kingdom citizens think and act differently. Kingdom citizens submit to God's Lordship. Kingdom citizens love and obey God. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And after that, He said, You are not far from the kingdom of God when we do those things. That's in Mark 12, 29-34. So as I know Him and love Him and put Him first in my life, it says I'm not far from the kingdom of God because that's what it consists of, this relationship with Christ. In Jeremiah 30, 21, God says, Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? Are you going to devote yourself to be close to God? Because he desires that. He desires that relationship with you, that intimacy with you, that closeness with you. In Philippians 3, 7, and 8, Paul said, Everything else in life is trash, and I count it all a loss compared to just knowing Christ. See, there's nothing more awesome than just knowing him. And having that relationship with Him, everything else is trash compared to that. That's what citizens do. They love God. They have a relationship with God. He is the King, and we get to be friends with Him. So loving God is a huge part of being in His kingdom. Now, if I love God, I'm going to obey God, right? John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And Ephesians 5.19 says that whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, as I obey what God tells me to do, that's part of being in his kingdom, being obedient to him. So this comes out of love. It also goes back to the whole issue of submission. Because a lot of times God's going to tell me to do things that aren't very fun for my flesh. Because he says my flesh is going to have to die. So I know that there's going to be a lot that's kind of painful for me. A lot of times serving other people is painful. A lot of times loving people I don't like is painful. A lot of times forgiving people is hard, and I don't enjoy it. But see, he's called me to those things, and if I'm truly loving him, I will be obedient to what he's calling me to. And being obedient is part of being in his kingdom. And this is serious. I think today in America we get this idea about sin that it's not that big of a deal, don't we? Oh, you know, so I lied. No big deal. You know, God will forgive me. We get this idea like sin is just flippant. It's not that big a deal. Jesus said in Mark 9:47, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And this is, this is a serious thing. What he's saying there is, be serious about obedience. Obedience isn't like, Oh gosh, I sinned again. Darn it. I hope I get over this sometime. See, Jesus is saying, be serious. I don't want to be legalistic here. Because we have grace, like Hetty was talking about. And he, he gives us freedom. And when we sin, he does forgive us. Continually, continually, continually. There's no limit on how much he will forgive you. On the flip side of that coin, though, God calls me to be serious about my sin. And to say, God, I want you to be first in my life. And that sin in my life disgusts me. One of my best friends in life is, is Austin Crocus. 
And Austin and I are brutally and blatantly honest about our own sin with each other. I mean, literally, every single thing that comes to my mind is, is a sin. I call Austin, I email Austin, I say, I want you to know this. As dirty as it is, as ugly it is, as it is, and he does the same with me. See, I want to be serious about letting God have complete control of my life, but I know Nate is not strong enough to do that. See, I need somebody else, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that are going to stand with me and say, you know, I thought the same thing. And this is so funny because Austin will email me something. And he'll say, I can't even believe I thought this. It's the worst thing I could ever imagine. And I'll email him back, dude, I thought the same thing, you know. And I'll say something and he'll say the same thing. And we realize we're in this struggle together. And we both have this human flesh that's falling. And see, we both need Jesus Christ to work in our lives. I have to be serious about my sin. So I really want to challenge you guys that being in His kingdom involves loving Him and it also involves obeying Him. And part of obeying Him is being serious about obeying Him. Getting to the point where I say, nothing else matters, Lord, than you. And I want to please you. I want to do everything I can to please you and to walk in a way that honors you. And and that that sense of conviction is, is a very important thing. In Luke 9, 23-25, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? See, Jesus calls me to putting him above everything. Saying, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to lose myself, and I'm going to be found only in you. In that place, He can do the work in me that He desires. And this is a great verse as we talk about obedience and loving God and the kingdom of God together. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. See, this all goes back to loving God. And it all goes back to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about talking the talk. The kingdom of God is about walking the walk. The kingdom of God is about loving God first and then obeying Him second, out of the love for Him. But see, if I'm not obeying Him, I'm not walking in His kingdom. I'm walking in the world's kingdom. So kingdom citizens walk the walk. And that's part of maturity. See, every year, aren't we growing? None of you guys are perfect. I'm not perfect. And probably every year you're making decisions and you're growing. And sometimes it might seem slow, sometimes it might seem fast. But see, you're maturing and as God works in you. And you're becoming a mature citizen of His kingdom. When you were born in, in the United States of America, did they give you a driver's license that day? No, right? Some of you would have wanted one. Seth, you look like the kind of guy that would have liked to have been driving at four. Needed to be driving at four. What about voting rights? Did you get to vote when you were four? Didn't you have to mature to that place? See, in the kingdom of heaven, in God's kingdom, we're all maturing. So have grace with yourself. You're going to fall and you're going to make mistakes. Trust God, keep your eyes on Him, and let Him work in you. Okay, after loving God, Riley's going to like this one. Kingdom citizens love and serve others, even the least desirable. 
In Matthew 25, 34 through 40, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, He will say, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Listen to this. I was hungry, and the king is saying to you, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. See, as I love and serve my brothers and sisters, whether that be other Christians or or non-Christians, anyone around me, as I love and serve them and put them above myself, the Bible says I'm doing that for my king. Isn't that a great concept? That's part of being in the kingdom. I get to do this for my king. And now that takes away my sense of obligation. It's not like I have to serve... I'm trying to think of a name. I have to serve Nate over here because God said so. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I get... Or I have to serve Nate just because it's a duty. No, I can do this for the God who has saved me. Right? This is a joy that I get to be doing this for my king. I get to love my brother and I get to serve him too. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And then in Matthew 20, Jesus said the same thing. He said, he said if, if you want to be greatest, you've got to be a servant. And he says, that's how it works in his kingdom. It doesn't work the other way. He says, in this world, in the kingdom of this world, if you want to be greatest, you strive to be first. But he says, not so in mine. The first have to be last. So as we're in his kingdom, we love and serve the people around us and put them first and ourselves last. Because that's part of being a citizen of his kingdom. Kingdom citizens seek his kingdom first. This is kind of a shocking verse to me. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus was talking about worry. And he was saying, you know, we worry about this and we worry about that. How how much of our life is consumed with worrying about what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to get money? How am I going to get to school today? What are my friends going to think about me? It's all worry. Jesus said, don't worry about that stuff. He says, seek first God's kingdom, and all that will be given to you. The idea here is to seek his kingdom first. So a kingdom citizen doesn't go around thinking, I have to find out how to put food on my table. I have to find out how to make my friends. I have to look cooler than Riley or Cody. It'd be impossible for me, but... (laughs) Or Justin, 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 you're cool. But uh, I have to tease Justin. If you guys really want to embarrass Justin tonight, go tell him he's cool. It'll probably embarrass him. <laughs> he's, he's freaking out over here. So anyway, see, my I don't have to stress out about these things that the world stresses out about because I can seek his kingdom first. So when I seek his kingdom first, that means I'm putting aside my hopes Please get this, guys. Think of the biggest hope that you have in life. Okay, you guys got it? The biggest hopes. Right now, say, God, that's yours. Is that hard to do? Say, God, you can have my biggest hope. What about my plans, my dreams? Do you have a dream that you've had forever? I always wanted to be a doctor, and God told me, he made it very clear, 
that I was supposed to go into full-time ministry instead of becoming a doctor. And it was hard to give that dream up. It was really hard to say, okay, I'm going to give that up. You know, I'm not going to be a doctor. What about your expectations of what your life is going to look like? I'm going to have three kids, and I'm going to live in a nice house, and I'm going to have a nice husband, or a nice wife. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird. <laughs> Usually it's the girls that have those expectations. The guys are more like, I'm going to have a big car and lots of money and all that sort of stuff. But isn't it, your expectations, see, see, they come second to his kingdom. If you are a kingdom citizen, his kingdom has to come first. What about friends? Sometimes my friends are going to say, I want you to do what we want to do. And sometimes I can say, no, I'm seeking first his kingdom, which is a lot different than that. It's a lot different than that, and I'm picking that first. But see, God says, and all these will be given to you. Do you think he can give you new friends? you think he can give you the best friends that you've ever had in your entire life? Isn't that true? Like, how he was talking about this relationship with Leah... See, God can give you those things as you trust Him. But sometimes seeking His kingdom first is a hard thing. But kingdom citizens seek His kingdom first, not their own kingdom. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's recognition. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's my education. Maybe it's my GPA. I know people that were so dead set on a 4.0 that they missed everything God had for them in college. Some of the greatest years in my life were in college, growing closer to God, learning about Him. Stepping out in faith and making steps that I'd never made before. I thank God that I wasn't worried about my GPA that much. Aaron screwed up my GPA a lot, too. It's true, it's true. Especially in a philosophy class that we took together. So, this was such a big deal. This idea of seeking God's kingdom first was such a big deal to Jesus. When his disciples came to him and said, how should we pray? How should we pray? Jesus said, one of the parts of the the prayer that he told them to pray, or a model of how to pray that he gave them in Matthew 6.10, he said, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a big deal. So I'm not only seeking it, but I'm praying for it. Now, as, as his child, as his son, think this through. When was the last time, and, I, and this, is, this is hard for me to say, to my own shame and embarrassment, but when was the last time I, I really prayed, God, I want your will to be done um, in my life, in my family, on this campus? A lot of times I pray for a lot of things that are in accordance with his will. But I think a lot of times it's, it's rare for me to constantly make his kingdom, his will, an object of desire and prayer. And that's something that I think is, is very needed. Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So Jesus is saying God's kingdom, it's not only something that we're supposed to seek and desire and pray for, but his kingdom is so precious and so valuable that I could go when I found it and sell everything that I could have that kingdom. Every dream, every hope, every passion, every expectation, every desire, every friend, all that, every possession, to give it away so that I can have his kingdom alone. And it says that this man does it joyfully. I don't necessarily have that attitude sometimes about God's kingdom, but I want that attitude where nothing else compares That's everything. That's all I desire. That's all I want. I I want him to do that in me. 
I want Him to do that in me. So that's, that's a challenge that I have for you guys tonight, is to seek His kingdom first above everything else in life. Kingdom citizens become humble and continue being humble. This is my favorite one because I love being humble. That's a joke. <laughs> Once I prayed that God would humble me, and no joke, this was my sophomore, my freshman year, I guess it was my freshman year of college. The next week, I had five people tell me I was ugly. <laughs> I had five people tell me I was stupid, including a math teacher. Well, he didn't say I was stupid. He said I was a bad mathematician in front of the whole class. I said, hey, I have... I had trouble with this problem. And he said, that's because you're a bad mathematician. That was in pre-calculus. I thought, that's why I'm in pre-calculus, you know? <laughs> if I was a great mathematician, I'd be in Calc 17 or something like that. So anyway, kingdom citizens, though, have to be humble because my pride is in direct opposition to his lordship. See, my pride is button heads with God all the time. I want my way. I'm going to think my way. I'm going to do my thing. I'm not going to submit. See, my pride is stopping me all the time as I want to be a, a, a citizen in His kingdom. And so, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3 and in 10, and this talks about two different types of humility, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, what kind of persecution would you guys face on your campuses back home? Let's hear something. David, what do you think? Humility? Yeah, it's true. Isn't it true when people look at you and say, you're stupid, how can you believe that, you're crazy, you're an idiot, you're not going to the parties with us, you know, you're not having sex with your girlfriend, all of us are doing that, why aren't you doing that? <laughs> you're a dork, you know? <laughs> all this stuff like this, see, the world's going to tell you you're stupid, and that's going to hit your pride. It's all part of being humble. Andrew Murray wrote a great book called Humility. I would suggest you all read it, it's amazing. But in that, he said, humility isn't a virtue to be counted along with all the other virtues, but it is the foundation for every single other virtue. Because humility is where I can come to God and say, I'm nothing, you're everything. Do what you want with me. Make me who you want me to be. I don't have my own expectations above yours. I realize that they are far inferior to what you have for me. Humble me. Make me the way you want me to be. Oftentimes I'll pray, God, humble me, and, and I... Always pray this now, after that one time. I say, and I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to hurt. And I just say, God, I trust you because you're my father. And I trust that you'll be gentle with me as you humble me. But I do want to be humble. I do want to be more like you. But I'm scared to death of what that will take. But I want you to do it. And I have a funny story about humility that i got to tell. Last week I shot, or two weeks ago I shot an elk first rifle season. And then I'm going out second rifle and I'm thinking, I've never shot two elk in one year. I gotta do it, gotta do it, gotta do it, right? I'm thinking I got, and it, I, I didn't even know it, but it was a pride thing. And then we're having this men's retreat here, and I'm thinking kind of in my mind, I didn't even know this, but I was kind of thinking, it'd be pretty cool if I shot an elk before any of the guys at the men's retreat. <laughs> and I didn't even, I wasn't even consciously thinking this through, but Wednesday morning, I'm up in some canyon, and this hits me. I'm hiking around, and it hits me. Oh my gosh, this is all about pride. I'm praying the whole morning, God, Please give me an elk. Please give me an elk. Please give me an elk. Please bring an elk out right there. <laughs> no, I'm praying like constantly. And I realize this is all about my pride. Like God convicts me. Some, have you ever had that happen where God just convicts you? And you go, oh my gosh, this is about pride. So right then and there I said, God, I am so sorry. Humble me. And again I prayed this. And be gentle. Humbling me. But humble me. And I said, 
But I would really like an elk, too. <laughs> okay? So about 30 minutes later, I shoot a calf. <laughs> Which was a very humbling experience, especially since it's the second time in my life I've done it. And Russ will never let me hear the end of it. There was a cow and a calf walking together, and I tried to shoot the cow and hit the calf, which is totally legal. Every time I tell that, people are like, should you be in jail? But no, it's totally legal, and it tastes great. There's just not that much of it that tastes great. But it's very humbling of an experience, right? And so I thought, God is amazing. He gently gave me an elk, answered prayer one and prayer two. He definitely humbled me. So... He can't answer all your prayers together and humble you in a gentle way. And But anyway, that's just kind of a side story that I, I thought was funny. But see, humility, I want to define this for you guys really quickly. And I, I'm trying to go fast, but I really want this picture of what a citizen of God's kingdom is to be very, very clear. And part of humility is not just saying, I'm stupid, I'm a moron, I'm nothing. A lot of people think that's humility. That's not true. Humility, it says in Romans 12:3 is to not think of yourself more highly than you ought, or you could say, to think of yourself the same way God thinks of you. And that's a big thing. Ricardo, tell me something you're good at. Okay. Okay. I didn't mean it like that. Uh, okay, let's say paintball. Now, if God's made you good at paintball... Don't go around saying, I'm terrible paintball, I'm no good paintball. That's not humility. See, you're disagreeing with what God says is true. Isn't that true? See, a lot of times, God has made you guys awesome for a reason. He wants you to serve Him with how He's gifted and talented you. But see, you can acknowledge where He's given you abilities, and you can acknowledge, likewise, where you're weak. And you can acknowledge that you're a part of a body just like everybody else in this room is a part of a body, and you can work together. And you also, just a note about your strengths, acknowledge those come from God, right? Because it's not just because I'm so great. You will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering, it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.5, going back to this persecution thing, this humbling and this persecution that happens in my life. In Iran and Al's home country, the persecution is more than any of us will ever see here for a believer. And I would encourage you to pray for your brothers and sisters in Iran and in other countries like that. Because they, they face death daily. They face imprisonment. They face entire families leaving them and neglecting them for Christ. James 2.5 says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? So again, as I'm poor in spirit... As I humble my, myself before God, I inherit His kingdom. Because His kingdom is given to those who are humble. So I, I encourage you to desire that humility and to ask God for that humility and to seek that. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said in Matthew 18.4. So as I humble myself, that's part of being in His kingdom. And that's the foundation for character. A mature citizen has a mature character. And a mature character requires the foundation of humility. Andrew Murray said, The soul that has seen God has given up forever any thought of self in God's presence. And that's it. See, when it comes to God's kingdom, Nate does not exist. Nate's not a big deal. Every cool thing about Nate came from God in the first place. 
See, there's nothing I can. I, I can't. My my view of self does not exist in his in his presence in his kingdom. And if it does, that's the world's kingdom, not mine. Kingdom citizens are ambassadors. Second Corinthians five twenty says, "We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us." Now, an ambassador is somebody that goes from one country to another country and says, "I have a message for my country to give you." So, if I was the ambassador to Tanzania, Josh is from Tanzania. If I went to Tanzania, I would say, "My country has this message for you." Now, as citizens in God's kingdom, He says, "You're ambassadors," which means. You're called to take his message to other people. This goes directly to what we call evangelism, or the Great Commission, which a lot of you have heard. And for those of you that haven't, it simply means sharing the good news about Jesus Christ and all that he offers us with the people around us. He, you, it's not an accident that you have the friends you have, or the co-workers you have, or the family members you have, or the neighbors you have. God has placed you in those situations to be able to share him with those people. Now see, if I'm in his kingdom, if I'm a citizen of his kingdom, I will be sharing with the people around me. If I'm choosing not to share with the people around me, I am choosing not to live in his kingdom. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that there's no grace. You still are his son and his daughter. But see, as I choose to be a kingdom citizen, I will be obedient to him and sharing with the people around me. This is part of a purpose. See, citizens have a purpose. They're not just here for no reason. As a citizen of America, hopefully at some point you will contribute to this country. You do so already by paying taxes, by working, by all this sort of stuff, getting an education. See, a citizen contributes to that country. Now, in God's kingdom, we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be warriors. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, Endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So it's saying there, you're fighting a fight. Ephesians 6, 2 Corinthians 10 say, you are in a big fight. You're in the fight of your life. There's a spiritual war going on around you. People are dying. Eternity is at stake. People are going to hell. And you're a part of this battle. And if we say, I'm going to ignore the battle... I've already chosen a side. See, he says, be a good soldier. He says, be a good soldier. He says, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. What does that mean? All those things that it said not to seek, to seek him first, not those things, those are civilian affairs. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where's my money going to come from? Again, here it's saying, don't worry about that stuff. You have a mission. You have a purpose. You have a battle that needs to be won. You're a warrior. You're an ambassador. Seek first his kingdom. Please your commanding officer. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this world. He will provide those things for you as you keep your eyes on Him. Kingdom citizens are focused and committed. That comes right out of those. Luke 9.62 says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So if I'm in the kingdom of God, it says, I'm not looking back. It's so easy to do that, right? It's so easy to do that, to say, What are my friends doing back there? You know, would it be fun to go hang out with my friends back here? It says, if you're looking back, you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. If I'm going to be in his kingdom, I'm going to be committed to his kingdom. I'm going to be focused on his kingdom, working for his kingdom. It's not small. It's very, very, very big. Now, the last of the ten different characteristics of kingdom citizens 
could also have been the first. But I wanted to close with it because it's a big, big challenge. And it's simply this. A kingdom citizen has to pick a kingdom. It seems pretty basic, but it's very true. Each of us, knowing all those characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom of God, has to say whether or not we're going to pick his kingdom or the kingdom of the world. See, there's no dual citizenship in God's kingdom. You guys have heard of dual citizenships? I can be a citizen of this country and that country. Some countries you can't do that with because they're enemies. You are not allowed to be dual citizens of two opposing countries. Jesus said in Mark 3.24, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give you life and life abundantly. Two different kingdoms, they're directly opposed. I cannot be in both kingdoms. I cannot be in both kingdoms. I have to choose which kingdom I'm going to be in. Tonight, I really want you to go away and make a decision. And most of you, many of you have made this decision. But I really want you to make this decision. Which kingdom am I going to be committed to? Because I hope none of you would walk away saying, I'm going to kind of do the both thing. I'm going to kind of be in both. Before Christ, you are alienated from God. In Christ, you are God's child. Before Christ, you are not forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. Before Christ, you are selfish. In Christ, you are selfless. Before Christ, you are jealous. In Christ, you are trusting. Before Christ, you are proud. In Christ, you are humble. Before Christ, you are defeated. In Christ, it says that you are more than conquerors. Before Christ, you are rejected. In Christ, you are accepted. Before Christ, you are condemned. In Christ, it says there is no condemnation for you. Before Christ, you were insecure. In Christ, you are secure. Before Christ, you lacked confidence. In Christ, you are confident. Before Christ, you were confused. In Christ, you are assured. Before Christ, you did not forgive others. In Christ, you do forgive others. Before Christ, you were unhappy. In Christ, you are content. Before Christ, you had something to prove. In Christ, you have nothing to prove. He's everything. You can't hurt me. He's everything. Before Christ, you had to look out for yourself. In Christ, He looks after you. Before Christ, you are unloved. In Christ, you are loved. Before Christ, you are hopeless. In Christ, you are filled with hope. Before Christ, you are angry. In Christ, you are gentle. Before Christ, you are bitter. In Christ, you are loving. Before Christ, you are frustrated. In Christ, you are joyful. Before Christ, you are anxious. In Christ, you are peaceful. Before Christ, you are impatient. In Christ, you are patient. Before Christ, you are mean. In Christ, you are kind. Before Christ, you are lustful. In Christ, you respect others. Before Christ, you are manipulative. In Christ, you give freedom to others. You can do what you want to do. I don't, I'm not going to make you do what I want you to do. Before Christ, you are judgmental. In Christ, you give grace and believe the best about other people. Before Christ, you are worried. In Christ, you trust God. Before Christ, you are unsatisfied. In Christ, you are satisfied. Before Christ, you are deceitful. In Christ, you are honest. Before Christ, you are deceived. In Christ, you know the truth. Before Christ, you are in darkness. In Christ, you are in light. And before Christ, you are dead. And in Christ, you are alive. Now see, those are the two kingdoms that you get to pick between. It's a pretty clear decision, I think. But it's not an easy one at the same time. It's not an easy one. But we all have to pick a kingdom. It goes back to submission to His Lordship versus my Lordship. That, that's it. Will I choose him or me? Who gets to be king of my life? Is it him or me? Is it him or me?
I want to wrap this up, just a summary, so that you guys take this to discussion groups, which we'll keep short because we have a big bonfire coming up. But there are ten characteristics. Kingdom citizens repent, think differently, and act differently because of that, right? They submit to God, they love God, they love and serve others, they seek God's kingdom first, they're humble, they're ambassadors, they're warriors, they're focused and committed, and they must pick a kingdom. I want to say to you guys, be patient. Philippians 1.6 says that He will be faithful to complete the work that He started in you. You're not a complete, mature citizen according to these criteria, yet neither am I. But God is working in you. Be patient. Be patient with yourself and keep your eyes on Him and trust Him. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul told the Thessalonians, live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. So as He's called you into His kingdom, as He's invited you to be a member of His kingdom, live a life that is worthy of that. Which you can't do in your own power, but in relationship with Him. And Jesus puts it this way. This is really cool. He says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. So He says, Whatever you've left for the kingdom of God. He says, no matter what you've left for the kingdom of God. He says, whoever's left all that stuff will not fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. See, as we, as we forsake all these dreams, hopes, desires, blah, 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 all that stuff I shared, as we give those up for his kingdom, he says, you're going to receive many times more than that. Both in this life and in the life to come. You are a chosen people, First Peter tells us. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In 1 Corinthians 2.9 it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has any mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. As we choose to be in his kingdom, you can't see, hear, or imagine how good it will be. There are going to be hard times, but it will be amazing because God has prepared that for you. It says no mind has even conceived it. No eye has seen it. No ears heard it. Russ told me last week, and I have to agree with him. He said, I don't think I'd be any happier if you gave me a million dollars because see, that kingdom that we get to be a part of is the greatest thing that any human will ever experience. If any of you guys have a Bible, turn with me to Revelation 5.11. Okay, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million angels. Okay? 100 million. So here's John listening to 100 million angels. And what are 100 million angels saying? They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. See, Jesus gave everything for you. Everything. Everything. He gave everything for you. So he's worthy when he says... I want you to come into my kingdom and to give up what you've always wanted and be part of my kingdom. He's worthy for me to do that. No one else is worthy. I'm going to do that for Leah or Kat. Kat said, Nate, give up everything. 
to come live in the Bader Schneiders. That's she's an RA in those dorms. Say, no, you got a great roommate, a nice house. But see, Jesus is, wor- is completely worthy of everything, guys. He's worthy of everything. Which kingdom will you choose? And are you going to submit to his lordship completely, 100%? Because nothing else matters. 